you hardheads, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good whatever it is, wherever you are in this wonderful world of ours. Welcome to the Hardheaded Sports Podcast, episode number 30, hosted by me, Nick Ryan. I apologize for the tardiness of the show. I was waiting, I was delaying, I was trying to put off doing the show as long as possible because today is the NBA trade deadline. That deadline is at 3 p.m. That's in a couple of hours from now. And the reason that I wanted to wait for news coming out of the trade deadline to happen is because I'm not necessarily sure that I'm going to be able to do another show this week to talk about it separately. I'm getting my first COVID vaccine shot tomorrow in the morning, and depending on whether or not I get side effects as long or as hard as other people have gotten side effects, I might be feeling very ill and unable to do a show. So I wanted to put off the show today to make sure that I cover at least the major part of the NBA trade deadline if there was going to be any news to begin with. And there, <laughs> there's some news. Uh, the Orlando Magic are clearing the house. They are doing a fire sale. They are doing a garage sale at very, very cheap prices. And they are going into what I would consider and what I would call a panic rebuild. The Orlando Magic going into a panic rebuild. They are selling the farm. And we're going to talk about that later in the show. And put that at the end of the show just in case anything else happens during the recording of the show something crazy like maybe Kyle Lowry getting traded somewhere that's the only other big name that's left on the market at this point a lot of the big names on the market were in Orlando and those names are on the move are currently on the move so we'll talk about that towards the end of the show of course we have some other you know NFL free agency stuff to talk about today I want to talk about the Packers and their lack of action I also want to continue giving grades to NFL teams we're going to cover the NF or excuse me the AFC West today, and then we're going to talk a little bit about March Madness as well. So I see no reason to delay it any further. It's actually extremely hot in my room. I probably want to get this show uh, done as fast as possible so I can go and prepare for uh, getting the vaccine tomorrow and get a bunch of chores done in case I do get really sick. Just kind of get get everything out of the way. So with that being said, let's get on with the show today. So continuing the free agency grades that we are giving for NFL teams this offseason, earlier this week on the Tuesday show, we covered the AFC North, and today we were going to be covering the AFC West. I guess we're going counterclockwise. Do you even go counterclockwise on a compass? I guess, I don't know if there's like a separate term for that or not, but regardless, we're going, we're going this way around. We're going to the West uh, from the North, going to cover the AFC West, who as as a majority had a very effective free agency period, in my opinion. A lot of the teams in the AFC West did a really good job about locking in their key positions of need and not only you know, get, receiving good players, but also covering the bases on replacing good players. A lot of one-for-ones here, in my opinion, in the AFC West. So let's just go ahead and get into it and start talking about it. I'm uh, going to start with the Denver Broncos. The Broncos have been uh, a team that's been stuck in limbo, it feels like, pretty much ever since Peyton Manning retired. And part of that is due to the fact that Patrick Mahomes came on the scene three years later and has been dominating ever since the, the Broncos have been a, a team in limbo. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that they haven't found a consistent quarterback. And there were quarterbacks on the market this offseason via trade via free agency. Dak at one point was going to be a free agency. And I thought, well, Dak Prescott in Denver doesn't seem like that much of a, a, or that bad of an idea. It seems like a very mutual relationship. Obviously, Dak is off the board. Carson Wentz got traded. Deshaun Watson now has 16 uh, sexual assault lawsuits on his table. So even if the Houston Texans were going to trade 
Deshaun Watson before doesn't mean I I wouldn't think that the Denver Broncos necessarily want him anymore, I guess is what I'm going for. So no, really the really the biggest need for the Broncos at this point, I feel like, is a quarterback. They've got offensive weapons in Noah Fant and Jerry Judy. They could use a better running back. Uh, they did sign a running back in this offseason period in Mike Boone from Minnesota. Uh, Philip Lindsay ended up leaving. So they, they do have some offensive things that they need to fix, primarily quarterback. I don't think Drew Locke is the franchise quarterback that John Elway seems to think that Drew Locke is, but they can't really fix that in free agency. So what they really needed to do was they needed to solidify their defense, the defense that's been the crown jewel of the Denver Broncos organization for the past five years. And even before that, the defense has been extremely good in Denver. And they did that. They did a really good job of keeping the defense together. They uh, franchise tagged Justin Simmons and then re-signed him to a four-year, $64 million contract, if I remember correctly. They exercised the option on Von Miller's contract, brought him back to the team. They re-signed Shelby Harris, who is a very underrated interior defensive lineman and defensive tackle. And they plucked Kyle Fuller from the Bears on a one-year deal. Uh, The Bears obviously releasing Kyle Fuller, an extremely confusing move. And within 30 minutes or so, the Broncos hopped on him and brought him in brought him in excuse me then the broncos also signed ronald darby three-year 30 million dollar contract so 10 million dollars a year i don't think ronald darby is worth 10 million dollars a year i think that's a little bit of an expensive uh stretch for the denver broncos i think that they probably could have could have gotten somebody for cheaper and that move in particular i'm not exactly thrilled about but overall uh the Broncos have done a really good job of replacing people this offseason. So with Philip Lindsay leaving in free agency, the Broncos bringing in Mike Boone as a running back, and the Broncos also releasing A.J. Bouye earlier in the season, clearing about $13 million in cap space. The Broncos brought in Ronald Darby and Kyle Fuller. Not only have they replaced those positions of need, but they have also potentially improved them, depending on who you ask, and they kept most of that defense together. Uh, the Broncos get an A- minus in terms of their free agency decisions this offseason. Let's see what they do with that number 9 overall draft selection, whether they go for some offensive weapons or they take a flyer on a quarterback. Moving on to the Los Angeles Chargers. If there was one thing that the Chargers learned this offseason, it's that, that Justin Herbert is a goldmine, and he's potentially the best quarterback in last year's draft. And what they also learned is that Justin Herbert was running for his life last season and that they couldn't protect him for anything. Uh, so what do they do? They go out and signed one of the best offensive linemen on the market and another extremely good piece in Matt Feeler as well. They signed Corey Lindsay, who was the best center in the league last season to a really nice contract. And, you know, Lindsay can play multiple positions as well. I'm assuming he's going to be uh, at the center position. Feeler is a good uh, mid-level signing. As I said, he can play multiple positions as well. And the Chargers have done a really good job at keeping that offensive line or upgraded that offensive line. Do not be surprised if they continue to go for offensive linemen in the draft. Uh, The Chargers also signed Jared Cook to a cheap one-year deal. I actually like this signing a lot. This is obviously to replace Hunter Henry. You could do a lot worse in terms of replacement with uh, Jared Cook. Jared Cook, I think he's going to have a rebound year. He kind of had a dropsy kind of year in uh, New Orleans last year. I think he'll have a rebound year with a new young quarterback. Exciting work there. 
and he's a nice replacement piece that can be a real offensive threat. The Chargers also re-signed Michael Davis, which was a really quiet but important decision on the defensive end, um, especially since Casey Hayward decided to leave town. The Chargers may be really, really good next year. They get Derwin James back in the secondary. The Chargers can be really, really good next year. I would, wouldn't be surprised if we find them in the playoffs. I wish they got an edge rusher to help out Bosa, but they're... Were, and there were a lot of them available, but they'll probably get one in the draft. Uh, maybe go bargain bin shopping. The Chargers accomplished what they really needed to this offseason, which was getting an offensive line to protect Herbert. The Chargers, the Chargers get a B plus. Now to the Las Vegas Raiders. The Raiders, to me, have had a very confusing offseason. And to be honest with you, I don't like a lot of the moves that the Raiders have done. And there were a lot of departures for the Raiders this year in free agency. Uh, the reason that I don't like a lot of these moves is that a lot of them are self-inflicted. The Raiders had one of the better offensive lines in football last year, which helped produce John Gruden's best offense that he has had while he's been with the Raiders. The, the, the Las Vegas Raiders were 10th in points and 8th in total yards last season, the best offense by far that Gruden has had in Las Vegas. Derek Carr had one of his better seasons. The Raiders had not only a 1,000-yard rusher in Josh Jacobs, but a 1,000-yard receiver in Darren Waller. The defense is ultimately what let down the Raiders last year. So going into it, I'm like, okay, they're going to get some people on defense to help out the defense. And what they instead did was they completely nuked their offensive line, uh, which was, again, as I said, responsible for really delivering the best offense that Gruden has had in his time as a Oakland Raider slash Las Vegas Raider. Three out of the five offensive line starters are gone. All of them were traded for a combined draft capita of two seventh round picks, a third round pick, and two fifth round picks, which apart from that third rounder, it's very unlikely that those picks turn anything into anything of equal value that they uh, could use as opposed to what they already had. They could use those picks as trade incentive. I don't know. I'm just not crazy about it. Uh, I mean, now I, I understand that the offensive line was extremely expensive and they wouldn't have been able to pay all of them, but there was no reason to get rid of almost everybody there. Um, I feel like it was a little bit of overkill. Now, with this freed up money... Uh, the Raiders signed Unique and Gakwe. And, you know, the other thing is, is that since they traded a lot of these guys, there is going to be some cap hits for the Raiders as well. So they might have been better off just plain releasing them if they're going to get rid of them like that. Uh, with this freed up money, as I said, the Raiders got Unique and Gakwe, which is a fine signing. They also got a couple of interior defensive linemen. So they did address the defensive line, which was a big point that they did need to address. Offensively, they signed John Brown from Buffalo, who's a, a, a fine wide receiver. Uh, they also signed Kenyon Drake, which with a 1,000-yard rusher in Josh Jacobs, this hardly made sense to me. And even if you want to argue that, well, Drake is going to be an excellent backup, maybe the best, best backup running back in the league, you're right. He is, but he has the 14th best contract among wide receiver, uh, excuse me, among running backs in the NFL. So you're going to tell me that you're going to give that much money to a backup running back when you could have gotten somebody else to fill the same role for cheaper? I mean, Kenyon Drake is getting $8 million guaranteed in his second season. You're telling me that you couldn't have gotten somebody cheaper in either or either gotten somebody at a different position of need? I, it just does not make sense to me. The Raiders did get Marcus Mariota to take a pay cut, which helps them a lot. Uh, says something, I guess, about that team that Mariota wants to stay there. 
And again, John Brown was a good signing offensively, but the most, the majority of the free agency for the Oakland Raiders was a head scratcher for me. And I wanted to give them a D rating, but I think that I'll bump it up to a C minus just to be nice. Cause maybe, you know, I can understand that working with money with that offensive line probably wasn't an easy decision. And last but not least, the Kansas City Chiefs. The Chiefs have been quiet-ish this offseason, but it's been a lot like the Chargers and free agency in the sense that they needed to get some offensive line help, and everybody knew this after the Super Bowl. The Chiefs released both tackles uh, before free agency really even started, and they had to revamp that line, which they did on day one, getting Joe Thune from New England. The contract is expensive, but it's worth it. He's one of the premier guards in the league that can also play tackle if necessary. And of course, the Chiefs landed Kyle Long out of retirement, who got him uh, on a cheap one-year $5 million deal. Now all the Chiefs really need to do is re-sign a lot of the roster at large and play with their money a little bit, restructure co uh, some contracts to make sure that they're under the salary cap. Uh, I did see that they just signed Sorensen, the safety, so that is a step in keeping the band together. The Chiefs are re-upping for another Super Bowl run. Um, they'll need to address pretty much every single other need in the draft. The Chiefs get a solid B for a simple yet effective offseason. This is the prototypical offseason and free agency period that you want to have as a Super Bowl contender where you address your key needs and then make sure that you spend the rest of your money getting under the cap and then re-signing everybody else. Again, the Chiefs get a solid B. So with that all being said and done, that is the free agency grades for the 2021 offseason for the AFC West. Again, we're doing one of these every single show that we do. So next time it will be the AFC South, whenever that next show may be. So make sure that you're subscribed and make sure that you're following the podcast and the show to find out when that be when that will be and if we do your team. This year's March Madness has indeed been very mad. And I think one of the things that really has sticked out to me has been the fact that this this tournament has really shown us as fans how much we missed last year's tournament, or how much we missed the tournament last year, rather. How we missed the Cinderella stories, the upsets, the athleticism, the emotion in everything. There really is no tournament in any type of sport, collegiately or professionally, like the March Madness NCAA Basketball Tournament. And now we're two rounds through the tournament. I did want to give an updated prediction pool and just kind of talk about the opening few rounds very shortly or very briefly, uh, because as I said, it was extremely entertaining. And as soon as I posted my video on Tuesday or Monday or whenever it was recorded, I can't quite remember. As soon as I posted it, my bracket just got instantly <clears throat> busted. And a pretty significant bust at that. I had Virginia Tech going to the Sweet 16, and they got eliminated in the round of 64 against Florida in a very close game. It went to overtime, and the the Hokies just let me down. They could they could not pull it out. But uh, the current Sweet 16, if you have not been paying attention or keeping up, is Gonzaga, Creighton, USC, Oregon, Michigan, Florida State, Alabama, UCLA, Baylor, Villanova, Houston, Syracuse, Oregon State, Loyola, Chicago, Arkansas. Oral Roberts. My predicted Sweet 16 was Gonzaga, Creighton, Kansas, Oregon, Michigan, Florida State, Alabama, Texas, Baylor, Villanova, Arkansas, Virginia Tech, Illinois, Oklahoma State, West Virginia, Houston. So we got 10 out of 16 correct. That's a pretty respectable number. Um, an extremely entertaining tournament and a, and a really diverse batch of teams, actually, that made it to the Sweet 16. Obviously, Oral Roberts, the 15 seed, very much a Cinderella story, very very like the 2013 Florida Gulf Coast University Eagles. I think they're the Eagles. 
I think it's the Eagles. Uh, Florida Gulf Coast University, their Sweet 16 run in 2016, not 2016, uh, 2013, I think it was. Uh, very, very attuned to that. Another 15 seed that's made a tremendous run in the tournament. Uh, Loyal Chicago is again having a very impressive tournament pretty much since Sister Jean has come on the scene. The uh, Loyal Chicago um, basketball team has been very prominent and very impressive. I was actually joking with a colleague the other day. Man, they might just want to preserve Sister Jean in some kind of either carbonite or some kind of preservative to make sure that she stays uh, up and running and kicking because as, as long as they've been in the picture, they've been an extremely talented and entertaining basketball team to watch. Um, Illinois losing early on to uh, them was just really shocking. First and foremost, I thought a lot of people had Illinois in the uh, the final against Gonzaga, and I wasn't always so high on Illinois. I had them losing in the uh, the final four to Baylor, but uh, that loss was certainly shocking. I, I I really thought that Illinois was going to do a better job at you know protecting the room, especially with you know. All that's on their roster, Loyal Chicago can shoot, obviously. It just, Loyal Chicago looked like they had that game in control from the word go. Um, I am very, you know, surprised that Kansas got eliminated. I had Kansas moving on to the Sweet 16, as I said in the video on Tuesday. Now, Kansas, a lot of you can argue, well, Kansas has been underperforming all season. And I made the argument that out of all the struggling elite teams that Kansas looked the best, and that should give you a little bit of hope moving into the tournament. Uh, but clearly, I was wrong. Uh, I think Oregon has a really good chance to make it to the Elite Eight. I like Oregon over USC, actually, in the Sweet 16 matchup. And um, Florida State also played an extremely good game against Colorado. I was extremely nervous about that pick. I think Colorado, in any other region of the bracket, could have definitely made a very strong run. But did you see the way that Florida State played defense against Colorado? I mean, what was that score at halftime, like 28 to 20? I mean, it was an extremely defensive game. Uh, Florida State looked really impressive after coming into the tournament, losing to Georgia Tech in the ACC championship game and turning the ball over an absolute butt worth ton. Florida State looked much, much better. They looked like a real threat, and I think that my original prediction of them moving on to play Michigan in the Sweet 16 and beating Michigan, uh, I'm pretty confident in that now. I was very worried about the the Colorado game for Florida State. If they made it through, they would have. Syracuse, again, making a strong run. ACC making a little bit of a, of a better push. Uh, Alabama continues to look strong. Arkansas had a bit of a scare initially, but they continue to look strong. Uh, Gonzaga has been steamrolling everybody, as has Baylor. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, Oregon State beating Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State is somebody that I had moving on. I know Stephen A. Smith is probably dejected and and very upset with himself. <laughs> but regardless, um, you know, moving forward, I, I like Gonzaga, Baylor, Oregon, Arkansas, Loyola, Chicago, Syracuse, Florida State, Alabama uh, as the Elite Eight moving forward. And then um, I, I think Alabama beats Florida State. I think Syracuse bows out to... Um, who, who's in that bottom side of the bracket? Is it Houston? I, I can't quite remember. Regardless of that, I, there's there's been a lot of talk in this tournament about the disparity between conferences and how you know the Big Ten was projected to be this massive monstrosity of basketball prowess heading into the tournament, and uh, how the you know the Big Ten have pretty much almost been eliminated. Um, 
Obviously, Ohio State going down early to Oral Roberts. Michigan as the one seed is one of the few remaining teams left. And then there's the performance of the Pac-12, which has a majority of their teams left. And the only thing that I would say to that is that just because the you know the Big Ten had a lot of competition during the regular season, I think experts and analysts kind of misread that as this being an incredibly strong conference. But the reality is, is that even if, if there's a lot of competition in your conference, it doesn't mean that that conference is necessarily good and that a lot of teams are really good and they're continuously beating each other. It just means that regardless, that group has a lot of competition. You can have a lot of great competition and have the majority of the conference be average. So I think that was a little bit of a misreading by the analysts and experts. I know I definitely made some mistakes in that as well. I kind of thought that the Big Ten was going to be much better. Very surprised with how uh, the Pac-12 has played in this tournament. And, you know, extremely surprised with UCLA, extremely surprised with USC as well. I didn't think USC was going to move on this far. And UCLA coming from the first four in, I wasn't explicitly impressed with their performance in the play-in game, but they have certainly turned it on and have played good basketball moving forward. So it's kind of a, a recap slash brief prediction for stuff moving forward. I just kind of wanted to talk out my feelings about March Madness and about the tournament thus far and see what you guys have thought along the way. How is your brackets doing? Is your bracket completely busted? Uh, I'm sure a lot of people had Illinois moving on a lot further than they did, and that's probably the soul-crushing break in that bracket. But, yeah, uh, please allow allow yourself to <laughs> uh, tell me about your bracket. Tell me about your predictions moving forward and what you would like to see, what you think you're going to see from teams moving forward. The Green Bay Packers are making me extremely mad, irritated, frustrated, a lot of adjectives to describe how I'm feeling about the Packers at this point. I was a Packers fan growing up. You know, my, my brother was originally the first one that was the big Packers fan. It's like, well, why do you like the Packers, Spencer? He's just, I like the colors. And it's just like, okay, I guess, I guess we're Packers fans now uh, growing up in South Florida. I guess, I guess we're Packers fans now. You know, and, you know, over time, the, the, the innocent acknowledgement of why we actually like the team turned into a true fandom. You know, we actually did become Packers fans. We got to watch Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers equally both come in and play the Dolphins in uh, those seasons growing up whenever they did come to town. So, I mean, obviously now I'm I work in sports. I have an unbiased mentality and I'm neither here nor there. I don't really have my fandoms anymore. But with that being said, the Packers are, are still making me extremely frustrated and mad. And th there's a saying that says the best or the worst action sometimes is inaction. Or the, the most detrimental action that you can do is not acting at all. Something along those lines. There, there's that saying that gets thrown around a lot uh, that could be paraphrased or phrased a million different ways. Paralysis by analysis. Detrimental action is inaction. Yada, yada, yada. I've been waiting and sitting at my desk, watching all of these transactions go through in the NFL, seeing all these different teams to make all these different moves. Heck, earlier in the show, we taught, we, we dedicated a full segment to giving grades to the AFC West. And I'm waiting for the Packers to make a move because you would think that the Packers, literally a couple of drives and a couple of mistakes away from making the Super Bowl, they would realize what they need to do to actually make that final leap and actually benefit off of the MVP quality play that Aaron Rodgers has been providing the Packers for not only last season, but years before that. 
And still, they do nothing. When when the first ESPN notification that you get regarding the Green Bay Packers and their offseason, uh, their free agency moves, is that they re-signed Kevin King. Oh, my. Now, listen, I, I Kevin King, obviously... It's a what have you done for you what have you done for me lately type of league. People are going to remember how awful he played in that NFC Championship game. He's he's a little bit better than what that game represented him as, but still it's a lot of these are just re-signings and it's like everybody seems to know what the Packers should do apart from the Green Bay Packers. And yeah, fans can turn into GMs, you know, everybody wants to be the GM of their favorite team, everybody thinks that they know what is the right thing to do, you know, you see it in social media comments all the time, all these people pretending to be GMs, and hell, I'm not doing much different here, I'm just, you know, I have a little bit more context and a little more understanding, because I work in sports, you know, but that doesn't necessarily make me that much different than anybody else, but even still... The solution is so simple as to how the Green Bay Packers can make it back to the Super Bowl and win a Super Bowl and actually benefit and have Aaron Rodgers' incredible Hall of Fame caliber performance pay off. Everybody knows what to do except the Green Bay Packers. And it's irritating the absolute you-know-what out of me. Now, understandably, you know, the cap space wasn't there for Green Bay. The cap space wasn't really there. They had to let go of uh, Lindsey. Lindsey signed with the Chargers. Bakhtari was injured. He may not be the same again. There, there are problems, you know, with the offensive line in Green Bay. Probably need to address that in the draft. But what's the one thing that everybody's asking for the Green Bay Packers to do? Get some wide receiver help. Please give Aaron Rodgers a weapon and actually allow him to run that offense. At a level in which he's not relying upon receivers that would probably be three or four guys, number three or number four guys in different systems. And I, I guess all of this anger in me as a as a as a watcher, as an analyst, as an unbiased media personality is coming from the fact that I like again, everybody understands what the Packers need to do and they're just not doing it. They're just so stubborn and not making free agency moves, even if even if that one free agency move can make the difference. Hell, I mean, the Miami Dolphins signed Will Fuller to a one-year $10 million contract. You don't have $10 million to take on a one-year flyer on Will, Fu on Will Fuller, who you were going to trade for at the deadline? You really mean to tell me that you don't have the money to take a $10 million flyer on Will Fuller, who, if, he, if he's great, he's great. And Aaron Rodgers has that deep threat apart from Devontae Adams. I mean, Devontae Adams is, is uh, you know, really like a short to medium receiver. He's an incredible route runner, very shifty, great for yards off the catch, but he's not that deep threat that you need, that sole deep threat in which his sole responsibility is I'm going to go fast and I'm going to run past you. You mean to tell me that the Packers don't have 10 million to throw at a wide receiver like that? I mean, they, they regardless of whether or not they did or they didn't, they're in, instead deciding to spend that money on re-signing Kevin King, Resigning Mercedes Lewis, resigning uh, Aaron Jones, which, granted, I talked about this when the signing actually happened. I'm not opposed to resigning Aaron Jones. I think that it was a little bit too expensive. And in the system that Aaron Jones is in, it works. I mean, you're going to need a good running game if you're, you know, the Green Bay Packers. It's up north, it gets cold, the ball gets harder to throw sometimes. 
gets hard, you know. And, you know, in the system, Aaron Jones has gotten results for the Packers, but to, you know, give that much money away to Aaron Jones to re-sign him, again, you couldn't find some money to give to a wide receiver this offseason or give to a better tight end this offseason. You couldn't get a single weapon apart from somebody that was already in your organization. And, you know, okay, you could say, well, maybe the the, the Packers are going to draft somebody this offseason. They're going to draft a wide receiver. They're going to draft offensive weapons. They're going to draft some, some help to fill some depth positions. It's like, well, you would think that, but you also thought they were going to take a wide receiver last year and they drafted Jordan Love in the first round, which... The, the the further we go along, the more that pick looks like the more that pick pick looks like it is the stupid pick that everybody thought it was. I don't know if I'm just like ranting for my sake at this point or I'm ranting just to get it all out of me. The the, the Packers are ticking me off, man. It's like poking it it's like a poking a bear with a with a stick and you expect that bear to Go and attack you, but instead that bear's look at you and said, "Hey, what's up, bro? Got some ice cream for me?" You're, you're you're poking the Packers. You're like, "Do something, please, for the love of God! You need to do something." Every sign points to the fact that you should do something and that you will do something, but you poke the sleeping bear, and the bear's just like, "Eh, I'm good," you know. Ah, just. Mm. I try not to go on many rants like this because. You know, it could come off as an incoherent and unorganized piece, but maybe it's the like five percent of Packer fan in me that still exists. That that's that's driving all of this out of me. I mean, the the Chicago Bears have made better decisions to soft. Well, okay, <laughs> park the brakes. Maybe I won't go that far. <laughs> maybe I won't go that far. Uh, but again, inaction is the worst type of action, and. I just feel like the the Packers are pissing away uh, Aaron Rodgers' last remaining seasons in Green Bay. They 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 should have had more Super Bowl wins than just the one win in 2011 by now, wouldn't you think? Like looking back on the last 10 years, you would think that there's more. There would have been more, based on not only how good Aaron Rodgers is, but how many weapons that they've had periodically over time. How good Devontae Adams is. How good the defense has been in particular years. It's uh. <sighs> it's it's frustrating. It's very frustrating. And now to uh, end the show, I I was I was going to talk about Deshaun Watson today and kind of give an update on that whole lawsuit situation because I made a segment in the previous show saying, well, I don't know, my BS meter is going off, and that was when there was only nine lawsuits. Now there's sixteen, and now it's like, okay, maybe I should just shut up and let everything play out because I'm not a lawyer. I'm not. I don't understand the inner workings. I don't understand why. Um, uh, Bixby is being so public with the lawsuits against Deshaun Watson. I think his, his saying that, oh, well, we don't want to play this out in public is exactly, you know, what they want to do. They want to get people, uh, in on Deshaun Watson. They want to create that circus like mentality. They want to just pound and make it public and have all the eyes on this case. I was going to talk about that, but instead I decided to, as I said at the beginning of the show, put that all off, delay the show, and then talk about some NBA trade deadline news if there was going to be. And as I said, there's some activity going on in Orlando specifically out of all the trading destinations. The trade deadline is at 3 p.m. today. As I said, that's in a couple hours. And the Orlando Magic are making a variety of moves in 
probably the most confusing rebuild I've seen in the past three or four seasons. I don't understand what the Magic are doing. And to me, in my opinion, they're going into a rebuild mode almost inexplicably. Um, the Magic are trading Nikola Vucevic to Chicago for Otto Porter Jr., Wendell Carter Jr., and two first-round picks, one in 21, one in 2023. I don't know whether those are unprotected or not. If they're unprotect, if they're unprotected, that's a tremendous win for the Magic, and I can see why they took that deal. But if they're protected picks, then that kind of just devalues the value of that trade for me. And we'll talk about you know the specific trades separately. But we're kind of just going through the gigantic bulk shopping uh, version of this of the trades with Orlando today. Uh, and then the Magic also sent Evan Fournier to the Celtics for two second-round picks. And then, about 20 minutes later, the Magic sent Aaron Gordon to Denver for Gary Harris, a 2025 protected first-round pick, and RJ Hampton and Gary Clark was also sent in that deal. So in total, in total here, the Magic received two second-round picks, three first-round picks. One of them is protected. The other two, we'll see. They also receive Otto Porter Jr., Wendell Carter Jr., Gary Harris, and R.J. Hampton. And they gave up Aaron Gordon, Nikola Vucevic, Evan Fournier, Gary Clark. So four players and five picks for four players. The hole isn't the worst I've ever seen. It's not good. Uh, it's not necessarily bad. I wouldn't expect a lot of these players to stay around long term. My issue with the trades isn't necessarily the hall it's it's the rebuild itself now i'm not i'm not i'm not completely against a rebuild i'm not you know against resetting your assets getting draft capita I'm not i'm not against any of that at all my issue is the fact that the magic are doing it right now in a time which it just makes no sense to me the magic would be a really good basketball team if jonathan isaac and markel fultz weren't injured for the entire season those are probably two out of the Four of their best players. It's two starters, essentially, that are out for the season. Markel Fultz is playing a lot better. Jonathan Isaac is a really good defender. You know, on top of Vucevic having his best season, if Markel Fultz and Jonathan Isaac weren't injured, this is a playoff team. And as we've seen the past few seasons, the Magic are a capable playoff team. They usually get <laughs> slotted in the eighth seed and take a round off of whichever the top seed that is. So, you know, they do have some talent. It's just a matter of finding the right pieces to build around the young talent. So with, with Isaac and Fultz injured and with Vucevic having his best season, to me, this seems like a gigantic panic rebuild. And I do not for the life of me understand why. I don't understand why the, the magic are saying, okay, now is the time to rebuild as opposed to a year from now, two years from now. I don't get it. And, you know, the logic in saying, okay, Vucevic is having his best season, we should trade him, that logic more or less is pretty much correct. But trading every, but out of everybody that, you know, could have been or should have been traded, Aaron Donald, or not Aaron Donald, <laughs> Aaron Gordon is the one that probably would have been traded out of all of those. It, it's weird. It's confusing. Um, breaking down everything separately, Vucevic to Chicago, so the Chicago Bulls, for Wendell Carter Jr. and Otto Porter Jr. and two first-rounders. I think it's a good deal for Chicago. Uh, you get uh, Markinen and Vucevic at the four and the five. There is some talent in Chicago. Zach Levine is a borderline superstar. Um, there are some 
debatability on how much of a superstar he actually is, but that's a really good piece for uh, Chicago, and they shred uh, Otto Porter Jr.'s contract. Now, granted, I think Vucevic is being trade uh, paid what twenty nine million. Otto Porter Jr. is being paid twenty eight million. It's a he had he signed a four year twenty eight million dollar contract, so the money more or less is going to equal out for Chicago. And I think Vucevic is a much better player than Otto Porter Jr. is, so that's going to work out a lot better for Chicago. But for the Magic side of things, you're trading away your only all-star player to get uh, Otto Porter Jr.'s massive, stupidly overpriced contract. I think I saw a stat that Otto Porter Jr. has made like $124 million in eight seasons, which is more than uh, the entire NFL apart from 10 players. Like, it's a gigantic contract for a player that you're probably not going to keep. Uh, and then there's Wendell Carter Jr., who has struggled since he's been drafted. And then you get two first-round picks, which may or may not be protected. I, it, it's hard to grade who won or lost the trade. I think Chicago has won that aspect of the trade. And re realistically, you know, my entire point in saying I don't understand why the Orlando Magic are rebuilding is because you got to think about everything that's happening outside of the league. COVID, uh, basketball in college just generally being more inconsistent now. Players haven't had as much time to develop. They haven't had some consistent development uh, this past season. And the product is going to be like that for a couple of seasons moving outward because players have lost so much practice time. They've, had, they've lost so much developmental time due to this pandemic that's been happening. And I don't necessarily want to say, okay, COVID is going to wreck the rebuild, but those draft picks not only are going to see less value because the Chicago Bulls got much better, but they're also going to see less value because I think the talent pool is not going to be as good in the upcoming seasons. Now, again, it's important to remember that one of those picks is in 2021, one of those picks is in 2023. Whether or not the talent pool recovers by 2023, that's something that's yet to be seen. Then there's Evan Fournier moving to the Celtics for two second-round picks. I love this trade for Boston. Uh, if, if there was anything wrong with the Celtics this year, it's it's very evident that without Marcus Smart, there needs to be another person that can score. And Marcus Smart even wasn't really that gifted offensively. He was more of a defensive uh, uh, defender uh, than anything else. But Evan Fournier really is going to take some of the load off of Tatum and um, – uh, Jalen Brown. I really love this trade for Boston. I great trade for Boston. And then there's Aaron Gordon to the Nuggets for Gary Harris, RJ Hampton, and a 25 protected first rounder. The Nuggets. I love this trade for the Nuggets as well. Aaron Gordon was probably going to be traded regardless, but as soon as Vucevic got traded, you knew that Aaron Gordon was going as well. Uh, Denver is scary. I mean, with, with LeBron and AD going down in the West, and obviously I'm assuming that those two will be back in time for the playoffs, but my God, uh, Aaron Gordon and uh, Nikola Jokic on the same team, same backcourt, or frontcourt rather, along with Michael Porter Jr. and uh, Murray, that's a really good basketball team. And I don't really foresee many people being able to stop Denver, uh, apart from the Lakers in the West. I think this, this trade makes Denver better than the Clippers. I think this makes uh, Denver better than the Suns. If AD and LeBron are not completely healthy, look out for Denver, I think. But as it pertains to Orlando, so you get Gary Harris, which is a really fine player, good 3 and D guy. RJ Hampton, probably a rotational player. 
And then you get Otto Porter Jr., Wendell Carter Jr. I just don't under again, I just don't understand why the Orlando Magic are deciding to do this now, as opposed to two or three seasons from now. You had two years left on Vucevic's contract. If Aaron Gordon wanted out, fine. You know, he he probably was he should have been given that out anyways. I mean, he has been frustrated for the past couple of seasons anyway. I feel like Aaron Gordon would have been gone regardless, but Vucevic having two years left on his contract, he's 31. Veteran, you know, he's playing some of the best b- basketball of his career. The Magic are playing in the East, so they're go- they're more than likely going to make the playoffs pretty much every single time if everybody's healthy. To have an injured Orlando Magic team completely sell everybody in a fire sale just feels like a panic rebuild to me, and I just don't get it. And I feel like this is the wrong time to do it, considering that the talent pool coming out of college is probably not going to be very good for the next couple of seasons. So, to, to say that Orlando won any of these trades, I, I think would be a bit of a stretch. Yes, they got a pretty decent haul for it. It's not the worst I've seen. It's not the best I've seen. I'm not crazy about Orlando taking on Otto Porter Jr.'s $28 million contract. I mean, if Wendell Carter Jr. and Otto Porter Jr. and two first-rounders, whether or not they're protected, is the best package that you could have gotten for Vucevic, I mean, hell, if if that's the best package that you could have gotten, if that was what they considered to be a substantial haul, you might as well just keep Vucevic. I mean, Wendell Carter Jr. can get better, absolutely, but Otto Porter Jr., his contract is too big for the level of play that he brings to a basketball team. I'm sorry. It it, it just seems so rushed and so panicky to me. It feels like, well, we're not making the playoffs this year. Everybody's hurt. Let's just sell the farm and retry again. It's like even, even the draft picks that you're getting for – you know, everybody that you're sending off, you're losing Aaron Gordon, all-star, losing Vucevic, all-star, losing Fournier, losing Fournier, great, you know, shooting guard off, uh, off screen ball handler kind of thing. Makes no sense to me. It really doesn't. If any of you who are more in tune with basketball want to give it an alternate opinion and give a counter argument or maybe shed some light on something that I'm missing, please fill me in because I'm at a loss for words. I'm not sure. What the Magic are doing in the situation, uh, do you think that the Magic actually won the trade for those of you who are more in tune with basketball than I am? Please let me know. Uh, other than that, this seems like a panic rebuild, and it seems like a panic rebuild at the worst time. And I, I don't know really what to think of it other than that. And that's pretty much the end of the show today. Again, apologies for making this a little bit delayed. I wanted to make sure that I got some basketball news in before the end of the day. Uh, I don't know when the next show is going to be. Again, I'm getting my first dose of the COVID uh, vaccine tomorrow, so I may be feeling ill over the next couple of days. I will obviously let you know when a show is coming again. Thank you so much for listening and watching this YouTube channel past 200 subscribers yesterday. Fantastic support. We're going to keep on trucking. You are listening to the Hard-Headed Sports Podcast. My name is Nick Ryan, and with all that being said, stay hard-headed, but have a nice day.